Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World as well as the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. Check us out on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. Today, we are bifurcated in location. Calvin and I are in our wonderful New York offices of the Publishers Weekly magazine. And Heidi, where are you? I'm in Maine, so for sort of a vacation. It's not a complete vacation because I'm still Skypeable, but uh, it's, you know, pretty relaxing up here. So a lot of big <laughs> news. No there's no escape from the internet. <laughs> no, there isn't. But there's a lot of big news up here. Uh, the branch on the old apple tree fell down and uh, oh, so stop. on. Yep, Press. yep. Pretty busy. Yep, All right. a lot happening. All right, fans. So don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on uh, Facebook, uh, we're at uh, facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. Okay, so this week on More to Come, uh, we're going to look at the fall graphic novels, big books coming in the fall. Uh, we're going to look at Amazon tightening its grip on the digital comics market, uh, Marvel and diversity, uh, and <laughs> we've got to talk about the Fantastic Four, Ant-Man, and, you know, wither some movie projects. So let's get right to it. Um, fall graphic novels. Heidi, you did the um, you you put together uh, all of our uh, our category close ups like that. Um, uh, we've got a top ten of great books. Uh, there's some fabulous books coming out in the fall. You want to start it off, and we can all jump in with some of our favorites. Right. Well, uh, yes, we do the announcements uh, twice a year at Publishers Weekly. Uh, you know, we do the adult announcements followed by the children's announcements, and as part of that, we do. Uh, category spotlights and uh, yes we have top 10 and yeah you know it's another another good season I mean <laughs> you know I, I have to put together these these top 10 lists and uh and every six months and it's always what to leave off and you know not what to put on in fact I see I left off one of my favorite books uh that actually which is trashed by Durf uh, I didn't put that on the top 10 sure. it should have been on the top 10 uh, uh, instead but uh you know a couple of really awesome books coming from um, uh, drawn and quarterly. They have the new Kate Beaton collection, always awesome, and uh, collection by Adrian Tomine, uh, which is amazing. Yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, you know, it's a collection of his books from um, f from Optic Nerve, but uh, you know, read all together, it's really pretty amazing. Um, I think the other book that I'm the most excited about probably is The Arab of the Future by Riyad Satouf. I know we've covered yes. that here yeah. already, uh, but it's a pretty, um, you know, it's originally published in France, and French comics just keep, the hits just keep on coming from there. Uh, it's a really interesting look at the whole, uh, his childhood growing up in uh, through different cultures uh, from France to the Middle East. Um, let's see, what else do we have? I mean, there's a lot. Uh, well, we we well, have to do well, about 50 books on the list, and they're, they're yeah. it's a pretty strong list. There's, there's Trina Robbins' uh, Complete Women's Comics. Um, what, um, Marisa Acasello Marchetto's Anne Tenna, um, new more social satire from her, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, there's something on here that sort of, at first, appears not to fit, and I'd love to hear all about a little bit more. Wonder Woman Earth 1, oh, yes, Volume yes. Well, 1. Yeah. I mean, this is not the kind of thing that normally gets on our top 10 lists. Uh, what makes it so awesome? 
Well, you know, these are books that uh, most of them I had yeah, seen already. That's one that I hadn't seen. And, you know, I, I, Kate, I beg to differ. There's usually a book from Marvel or DC that makes the top ten because they do put out some pretty awesome books. And, you know, this book is, is Grant Morrison's take on Wonder Woman, that he's, uh, you know, Earth One is uh, DC's imprint for original graphic novels that reinvent their major characters with kind of new origins, new updated origins. This is the famously where, you know, Superman in a hoodie was was uh, uh you know took the took the neighborhood by storm so uh I, I think grant morrison's long gestating look at wonder woman um certainly uh there will be a lot of talk about it and that alone puts oh. it in the top 10. no question on that yeah yeah, yeah. now is this multiversity on on the top 10 i can't i know it's i know it's on the full list with you you, you do a list of the top 10 but then you really do a list yeah it's uh, in the you know, it's in the uh it's in the uh listing of books you know a lot of this is if there's any publishers li listening a lot of these lists are proscribed by what publishers provide to us so sometimes they don't always put the books that um you know sometimes it's a little mixed bag but uh <laughs> At, at any rate, um, yeah, Multiversity is another Graham Morrison. But, you know, that's, again, a collection of... I, I chose to put uh, Wonder Woman on uh, as opposed to Multiversity because it's brand new and it hasn't been seen. Although now we just learned that it's been pushed back till April. So, um, you know, we'll have to wait a little bit longer. It's not a fall book. so But you can only well, make the top ten are... once. Yeah. <laughs> these Earth One books have been... They've been real bestsellers. They really... They, they update the continuity for a new generation and certainly if grant morrison is is jumping in here uh we've got to pay attention to right him. but he has been working on this book for a long time right kate yeah a very very long time <laughs> um and i have to say that uh say what you will about the earth one books but uh at least they're always polarizing right yeah, well that's for sure i mean i have been ambivalent about some of them but as far as their popular appeal they go straight to the, the their original graphic novels, and they seem to go straight to the bestseller list. Yeah, um, I, I guess it's that I'm not ambivalent about them. I have very <laughs> strong feelings, but I've noticed that people tend to have strong feelings about these books one way or another, which I suppose says something about you know how they act on people's emotions and how they're hmm. really getting at something that really is hitting people where they live. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I mean, they have sold very, very well, and, and in well, fact. The, yeah. the, yeah. the secret origin of the Earth One, uh, the first one that came out was Superman Earth One by J. Michael Straczynski. And, yeah. um, you know, I can't remember who the artist was, but. Uh, oh, was it, it uh, Sean something? It, uh, it wasn't Shane. Was it Shane Davis? Yes, yes. it was yes. Shane Davis. Okay. And from what I heard, this was originally going to be a mini series or, you know, limited series. And then someone suggested, well, why don't we do it as a graphic novel? But, you know, Marvel and DC have always been a little bit iffish on the OGN model, saying that, you know, it, it makes more sense to, to serialize it. But then it was decided to do it again as an original graphic novel, despite the, uh, you know, doubts among some of the top editorial folk at DC. And uh, then it turned out to be a bestseller. It sold very, very, very well. And uh, it's a, a good model for these books because they're going to most appeal, I think, to people who want something special to hold in their hands. Something like people who either are not picking up the floppies every week or, you know, people who who are like, here's a big name writer and a big name property and I want it in a beautiful package. Right, right. And, um, you know, I, but, but the, the original pitch on that, the, 
the original Superman was that it was more like Twilight, you know, had kind of a brooding 20 year old Superman, Clark Kent wearing a hoodie and, and it, it, you know, got a lot of attention for that. And so, and then the Batman Earth One has been written by Jeff Johns and those have again sold very well. So, uh, yeah. What it is, is they, they're proven to be a good on wrap for people who are familiar. I mean, yes. these characters are universally known. Maybe you haven't been reading them, or maybe you haven't been, been a little bit confused by the multiple continuities and portrayals. This is a, like an official version where you can kind of leap into it, and you get a sense that you are on par with whatever these iconic characters are at this moment. Yes, but at the same time, it needs to be pointed out that in the many, many years that Grant Morrison has been working on this, he has, I don't think it even started out as Earth One, did it, Kate? I'm, yeah, I'm, it I'm not sure that it did uh but he's been talking about it for years and you know every time he says something about it in the press uh there's a lot of controversy just about him talking about the character of wonder woman there's a lot of questions about his interpretation of the character well uh, i feel like this is almost the best way to do it because because it's its own little encapsulated universe grant morrison can feel free to be grant morrison right and and be as out there as possible on his take on it and he doesn't need to worry about what the next writer is going to do about it. That's and right. the next writer doesn't need to worry about what he did with it. He Absolutely. can just be original. Right. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. uh, but, but, you know, not, not to, not to, to dwell too much on this book. I mean, there's so many other great books, uh, you know, very strong lines this fall. Alternative comics has a whole bunch of books coming out, including the yes. hang die. They picked up the hang die. Yes. Um, just, just you know, books, including a book from, uh, uh, the late uh, Seth Kushner. Yes, and uh, okay. nice a new collection by Dean Haspiel, new collection by Gregory Benton. We haven't seen that. You know, it has a really strong fall line, which you might might not be uh, expecting. Is Dark Horse? They have a lot of uh, original graphic novels coming out, uh, including Nanjing, The Burning City by Ethan Young, uh, yeah. and yeah. Uh, The New Deal by Jonathan Case. We actually ran a nice preview of that. Uh, it's kind of a sure. caper set in the uh in the new 30s uh in new york city and then uh two brothers by uh gabriel ba and fabio moon so yeah. wow um, because uh dark horse has been kind of on the back foot it seems for the last year or so but they're really coming back strong yeah definitely definitely and um, um I, i'd like to just throw in also this is not a top 10 book but um uh and actually i don't think it's actually made the uh, the list uh as happens from time to time but coming from No Brow, uh, Curveball by Jeremy Cerise, um, a really imaginative um, science fiction graphic novel. And, and actually, he was a part of my panel at Book Expo America, where we looked at the, also the big books of the fall. Right. Yes. Well, No Brow is always awesome. They did get left off the list this time because they did not send in their list of books. So, uh, again, if any publisher out there was listening, you know, heed the call for entries. Yeah. So. Uh Oh, you know, here's a book. Actually, one so other quick. book Good, Heidi. Mm -hmm. to, to mention is uh, that I, I've been a fan of since it was um, serialized online is Oyster War by Ben Toll. It's coming out from Oni this fall, and uh, it's kind of a fun little fantasy uh, set. In the, the artwork. It looks great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Ben Toll, he did that Amelia Earhart biography a, a while ago. Uh, it's just a really cute book about a town where... Uh, it's oyster fishery and uh, oyster, or, but there's oyster pirates and then there's sea monsters and it's this uh, fun fun book. And uh, you know, one other the other top ten, uh, rounding out the top ten, uh, the story of my tits by Jennifer Hayden. Yes, Jennifer another Hayden. long awaited yes. book. She's been yeah, working absolutely. on that and it's huge. It's very uh, huge. Breast cancer survivor. Um, yeah. So, 
Uh, and I'd like to point out uh, Peter Cooper's Ruins, uh, really a novel built on his real-life trip to Oaxaca in the middle of yes. uh, volatile politics in Mexico uh, and navigating through that. And it's absolutely gorgeous. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, we uh, comics continue to yeah. move on, and uh, this falls no exception. Right. Uh, one more book, uh, only because he's in the news these days, Ted Wall's uh, graphic bio of Snowden. Yes. Uh, coming out from Seven yes. Stories Press. All right. Um, but anyway, great, great. Another great season of, of comics and graphic novels. Uh, check it out online at publisherswiki.com slash comics. All right. Uh, so, um, well, let's move on. Uh, we actually had a great piece to said by um, uh, digital pundit, business, futurist, and analyst Rob Salkowitz. Um, uh Digital comics and Amazon, or really uh, how Amazon is essentially squeezing the digital comics market, squeezing its advantage uh, after uh, acquiring Comixology and um, making it a little bit tougher for uh, people to go to uh, get to market. Um, we also had another story a little earlier by, um, by Todd uh, about, uh, on this same topic. Yeah, well, it's pretty obvious that Amazon... Uh, is, well, you know, the focus of Rob's uh, article was really how uh, Comixology is quietly phasing out uh, their apps that they had been running for a long time, uh, such as IDW had an app, Image had an app, um, you know, where they would sell comics, uh, the storefront apps, as they were known. Yes. And, and, and uh, Comis yeah, Comixology is slowly uh, phasing them out. Um, one of the reasons being that Amazon does not want to sell through Apple, so... <laughs> Yes. Right. So, um, you know, these you like you can't directly buy comics through the Comixology app anymore on your iPhone. Uh, you have to buy it online or through some kind of widgety thing. But these storefronts, you could. So perhaps that's why they're being um, phased out. However, as Todd pointed out, uh, Madefire is stepping in, into the gap, stepping in some of them offering these. And, you know, I received, you know, I ran a little piece on the beat uh, linking to this article just as kind of state of the digital. And, and, boy, I got a lot of people calling me and emailing me about this, uh, you know, even my little piece. And, you know, one was pointing out that um, that he actually took it. This is a person who must remain nameless, but, uh, you know, definitely a digital insider saying that Amazon's. Uh, you know, there are so many alternatives to Comixology now, and most of them are these streaming services, you know, boutique publishers or boutique apps like Sequential. Yes. Um, and these, these, you know, but, the, but this person kind of was saying, don't, don't discount these storefront apps, you know, that. Yeah. Go on. Mm -hmm. Oh, just that, you know, if you're fiddling on your, 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 you know, I mean, if you're Apple device, I mean, obviously Android still, you can, you can um, make purchases through, but, um, you know, if you're fiddling with your uh, Apple, if your device, you know, some people want to buy these things, right. As they're, they're fiddling on their device. So, well, I think, you know, I, I think what Rob's point is that really, if you're looking for the, the vast coverage of all the publishers in the marketplace, you're, you're probably going to drift toward Comixology. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of advantages to using Comixology, uh, even without in-app purchasing, which really, uh, you know, it, it raised a lot of hackles among the digital pundits when when uh, um, Amazon disabled that, that feature. But really, among consumers, it didn't seem to really register much. People found it's pretty easy to switch over and just buy 
through the web three through the website or through a web app. Um, um, uh, but but it, it causes some problems if you're a fussy collector. You know, your all your web comics are sort of, sort of spread around among different libraries. But you know, the the fact is there are other ways to sell comics than through Comicsology. You just don't sell as many. Uh, right, even right. apps like Sequential, I mean, they have a very focused mm -hmm. list of graphic novels. So you're not going to, I mean, you know, you're not, I mean, superhero fans are not going to obviously use Sequential. Right, right. Well, it's not aimed at them. So It's not aimed at those fans. Yeah. So, but there are other places to buy if, you know, you, if you, in fact, if you simply want to support other vendors, which is a good reason to do it. Right. And, you know, I mean, there are so many people trying to launch the Netflix of comics, you know, whether it's Farago or Scribd or, um, I mean, yeah. there seems like one air starts every day, you know, and Iverse, I don't even know what's going on with them. They were kind of trying to launch and. But I, as you, as you noted, Scribd launched, launched, um, uh, I guess was, uh, earlier this year, mm -hmm. uh, put 10,000 comics, graphic novels online. And I also did some reporting about Hoopla, which is a library-focused um, – well, they, I, I just found out lately they don't like me calling them a subscription service. But the fact is that is <laughs> essentially what they are. However, they are a content delivery service for public libraries. So they're, they're, the fees are paid by your public library system, and they're affiliated with more than 800 public library facilities. If you have a library card – you can get the Hoopla app, and you have access 24-7 to really thousands of comics, including, including that they just signed a deal with DC Comics. Apparently, it's first deal with any sort of library or subscription service. So mm -hmm. uh, there are other ways to get your digital comics fixed uh, that aren't necessarily owning, you know, download to right. own. Right, right. So, But, you know, certainly, uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, I... I I think there was some, uh, you know, Amazon's very controversial, <laughs> to put it mildly, <laughs> among yeah, publishers. And it, it, yeah, and it just it, it appears to be that they just don't make as much money. I mean, there's several reasons for why they either they're not making enough money powering smaller apps, you know, because they're not going to stop doing DC and Marvel. They're not going to stop powering their apps. Right. Uh, it's but it's the others, the smaller, uh, as Rob put it, second tier publishers who, who will, will remain nameless, who uh, are probably going to get offloaded mm -hmm. uh, uh, to some of the other services. Right. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, you know, it continues, continues to evolve. But uh, the bottom line is more digital comics for more people from more publishers. And and digital comics are bringing more people into the comics world. Absolutely. There's no, no doubt about it. And, helping, and actually helping print publishers sell print comics. So, you know, more to come. Yes, more to <laughs> okay. come. Um, right. So, uh, so segue to the diversity question. And in, know, in this case, uh, I think it's a diversity question simply mm. beyond, say, ethnicity and background. Well, this is, you know, the week of diversity. It just seems yeah. like every time we do this podcast, there's, you know, it's definitely the biggest movement in comics. There's a lot of yeah. readers wanting to be represented. And, you know, Marvel, it's, it's funny. I, I'd be interested to hear Kate's take on this, but it seems like Marvel and DC have kind of switched places a little bit, you know? I mean, it used to be that DC was, you know, not listening and didn't answer and, you know, kind of monolithic, and they were being... Um, 
they were being, um, you know, discussed all the time. Like the audience. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and then a website called "Has DC Done Something Stupid Today?" And actually, <laughs> uh, DC has has not shown up on that website no, for a no, while. No, they haven't. <laughs> they have not done something stupid for a while. But every but a lot of people seem to think that it should be replaced by "Has Marvel done something stupid?" Because you know, once again, it, it is just like a, a pendulum; it swings back and forth, but and it seems like they 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 hit these like phases of like consolidation and unified front and like i don't know when when publishers seem to have moments of feeling they're they're powerful when they somehow the communication with the fans just seems to break down a bit well i you know i feel i mean you know specifically where this is coming from is um you know marvel has been relaunching announcing the relaunches i guess they announced about 40 books just before san diego and they've been doling out some more books uh, since then and uh, there are a couple of books that have um minority main characters but very very few uh that have non-white male uh, writers and in fact there are no african-american writers uh at all and yeah. so there's a lot. So this is, was commented on. And then Tom Brevoort, the executive editor of Marvel, uh, kind of made a real ass of himself with his answers on his uh, Ask Me Anything page. And, you know, when people said, you know, don't you? Oh, I, but there was the hip hop. I'm, I'm, there's so many. Um, yeah, there's a whole lot. Of the, but, the, but I, you know, I forget where it began. But it was when Marvel announced this line of hip hop variants. And, you know, some of which were by artists of color. But then, they, uh, you know, somebody asked Tom Brevoort in his forums, and it's like, you know, don't you think it's odd when... You have all these these covers referencing, you know, hip hop artists, and yet, you know, none of your artists, uh, you know, none of your writers are are uh, black. And then Tom Brevard said, "I don't see what one has to do with the other." And that it's not drew, a good answer. That wasn't a good answer. And then he did a longer answer, but it still didn't really work. Didn't really work. But then, uh, you know, Axel Alonso, the editor in chief of Marvel, does every Friday. He does a a talk uh, with CBR and, you know, Axel uh, always has had a very good uh, line about uh, diversity and, you know, he's brought a lot of diverse creators in, in his time and, and always, you know, shown a great deal of sensitivity to this issue. And uh, for whatever reason, he also was just like, um, you know, this guy was wrong when he said there was, no african-american artists on it and you know wait and see what we're doing and you know we got all basically he kind of dismissed it and then there was i don't know i was away but there was a lot of tweets and you know that had to be taken down they were kind of mocking people who were complaining about this issue and um yeah i saw some i saw something about that right. i wasn't quite sure of the whole deal right, right. but there was a lot of outcry yep. and and then came hercules and kate do you want to explain that one okay so it could just be that he didn't do the homework or read his own comics, but Hercules, not only in myth mythology, but also in Marvel Comics, mainstream, 616, Marvel Comics, uh, Hercules, although all of his on-screen, or most of his love on-screen love interests have been female, it's been very matter-of-fact that, you know, he's an ancient Greek god. Yes, he's also had sex with men, because mm. he's an ancient Greek god. Like, hello and it was you know even by by straight male writers they were just sort of like yeah whatever kind of threw it in there matter of factly and people were cool with it so you know and then in in one alternate universe uh wolverine and hercules had a thing 
Right. That was all in the universe. Right. So when people were asking comics questions about the upcoming new comics, they were like, hey, so... Well, they announced know. a new Hercules comic that's yeah, written by, I new- think, uh, Dan Abnett. I, I forget yeah. who was writing it, but yeah. Yeah. And so someone, you know, asked about, like, is he going to have a male love interest? And instead of just being like, no, not this time, they were like, Hercules was like, Hercules is straight in this book. Mm-hmm. And people were like, but why? Like, why? Um, now, it could be that he only thought it was an aspect of the alternate universe where he he was boyfriends with Wolverine and somehow that's an alternate universe thing. But, I mean, it was pretty established in the comics. So I don't understand why he didn't just go like, oh, no, he won't have any boyfriends in the comic. Mm-hmm. But no, like, it was like, he is straight now. And so fans were like, since when was Hercules straight? <laughs> yes, it's uh, we've got like fifty issues where he's not right. Well, I just to be, you know, I mean, I think you you explained it very well. I mean, it's not like in those fifty issues we saw him, you yeah. know, in the mainstream Marvel U fooling around with other guys. It was just sort of a little nod and a wink, and it it wasn't it wasn't stressed, but it wasn't hidden. You yeah, know, it was, it was stated outright. I mean, yeah. it wasn't yes. like it wasn't like implied, but never stated. I mean, it was stated. Mm-hmm. But it was just not a big deal. So right. it would have been not a big deal to continue that, to just be like, yeah, there were some dudes in his past, moving on. Right, um, right. But apparently, like, I don't know, I guess some straight dude brains could not handle that. And so suddenly now he's magically straight. Oh, well, PR disaster. And meanwhile, I'm just eating popcorn going, I don't even know what you guys are doing here. Right. <laughs> well, compared with, you know, and then in the, <clears throat> and then in the, the last, uh, you know, just last Friday's uh, Axel in charge, uh, you know, he kind of walked it back a little bit. He was a little bit more apologetic. So, and you know, you'd think, I, I, again, I just don't understand. Like, you'd think people would learn. I mean, there was, uh, you know, a lot of outcry. I mean, there was a lot of websites that really went to town on Marvel and wailed on them about this just tone deafness, you know. And, um, I mean, there's, there's more to come on it for sure. I mean, I know other people who are looking at this and, you know, you thought that, 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 uh, I mean, I think it was really just the cavalier method, the cavalier attitude that both Brevoort and Alonso, uh, used to discuss this issue that is very much, uh, tone deaf to today's times. Yeah. It, it really yeah. came off as you crazy fans. Why would we ever do something diverse? Stop bothering yeah. us. Well, but it, and it's of course it's it's pretty insulting to assume that you know uh, imaginary diversity is great, but uh, but actual real, real ha, ha, ha. paycheck in the pocket diversity is like you know a fantasy or or some you know overbearing demand. Um, and certainly, Comics Alliance was um, going off the hook about it. And I know one of the writers over there uh, announced uh, a boycott. You right. know, and they put some black writers on black books. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, there'll be a lot more to come on. Yeah, there will. And I mean, you yeah. know, obviously, they're. Sure. It sounds like they're working on something, but uh, you know, don't don't be dismissive, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I know they're saying it's all about the product, and it is true. Obviously, people can write lots of people not like themselves, but when all your books are being written yeah, by white I mean, straight men, it does tend to. Affect the product. I, I, yeah, and I don't think anybody's saying, you know, every every book with a black character has to be written by a black author. But you've got to, I mean, people want to see some real diversity among the people who are getting assignments to be able to take 
the whole thing seriously. I mean, if, if you can't actually hire black creators, right. what are you doing? Right. Right. <laughs> it's like diversity any shortage is, of that. Yes. What yeah. are you talking about here? I mean, <coughs> diversity, any diversity. It's yeah, bizarre. yeah, it is, and yeah. and you know we need to move forward. It's funny. There's an interesting uh, interview with uh, the writer Christopher Priest that's being serialized in a couple of different parts on Newsarama right now, where he talks about writing the Black Panther back in the late '90s as part of the Marvel Knights line, and um, you know, I mean, this is uh, 1997, <laughs> people. <laughs> Are you telling me that 18 years later, we're no better? Uh, and actually, we're not. So, you know, that's pretty serious. So, um, you know, more to come on that, I hope. Yeah. More to come. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, uh, we, you can bank on that. And now for a different kind of depressing Marvel news. <laughs> well, normally where Marvel excels is at the box office. Um, but really? but um, they have suffered well marvel didn't you know i mean i imagine ike perlmutter yeah, is, is having amazing schadenfreude right now oh yeah um well you know i, I you know i had the misfortune of seeing the fantastic four uh, and calvin's night. a big and willingly for comics fan. willingly he did it willingly yeah Let's I, you know, reiterate. I willingly i mean and i and, and i was uh you know as i was telling jody friend of my wife friend of the show uh you know these characters these characters particularly the Fantastic Four in my life, uh, I can't escape them. Uh, what's done to these characters, for better or for worse, just means something to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually did not. I only saw the first uh, iteration of the Fantastic Four. I didn't see the second one. And I was just determined to see this one. And, you know, uh, I mean, basically everything I read was the truth. I mean, it was just, it was just a disaster. I mean, I, you know, I mean there were, it had a moment or two. But really, I, I mean, I didn't like the casting of Reed Richards. Um, I thought that the, it was the most boring superhero movie you could imagine. There was very little action. Um, and in the action, it was on the end. It seemed like it was cobbled together from another movie. Um, it was just bizarre. <laughs> right. Uh, now, I've read all of the stuff about the goings-on between the director and the studio, and it just sounds... Uh, like this move, this thing never had a chance. Now, apparently, there is some secret edit that the uh, the Trank made that well, it, it's not <laughs> no even one will ever edit. see. Well, we don't know. No, is there it, is no secret it, edit? It's just a. It's an uh, yeah. There was a a the first edit. He had a first yeah. edit that apparently was very very different, and a lot of footage was not from it was not in this movie. Well, and um, you know, maybe maybe if the DVD sales of the version we saw on screen are bad enough, they'll bring out a director's cut. You never know. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm the not, first thing you notice is most of those scenes that you saw in the trailers that seemed exciting are not in the actual movie. <laughs> so that's Let's cut baffling. out all the exciting parts for the final cut. Now, you know, I'll say this. The visual of the thing is certainly better than I've seen it done in the past. But the, but the character has none of the vitality of the actual character. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, right. and and did they even like mess with the origin story enough? I heard that they made like Sue get her powers like not even as part of the that movie. was annoying. <laughs> she she didn't you know now look you, you expect these these reboots to you know to update the narrative in some capacity. Uh, I mean I don't think you know 
in this day and age, you know, you're going to send four people into a rocket in outer space. Well, you weren't going to do it back then either. Obviously, it's always a little odd uh, debating the reality of a superhero narrative since even the good ones are like completely off the hook. That said, yes, in this particular instance, Suit Storm, she sort of gets her powers when they come like blasting back from a spillover of the energy uh, in the. Uh... So, in other words, instead of being a brave scientific explorer with the others, she just got hit by the recoil. She, she was, yeah, she was kind of a hit and run victim. Yeah. So that was annoying. Plus, don't get me started on what they've done to Victor Von Doom. Now, they announced yeah. it in advance, uh, and apparently the absolute outcry scared him away from the scenario they had planned. Because I remember hearing something about uh, they were going to turn him into a, He was going to be a hacker of some nonsense. But ne- nevertheless, they've, they've eliminated the Doom, the Von Doom, some of the Von Doom background that we know of him, you know, being uh, what uh, uh, the, the, taking over the country of Latvia and actually sort of being a weird world leader. So now he Latvia, Latvia actually exists. That's true. That's but, right. um, but yes. he took it over, and um, uh, but but that was, to me that was always an interesting part of the comics. And some yeah. and some of the old ones, he had diplomatic immunity, and he was able to escape oh, he that used way that all the time. Yeah, it was very clever. Uh, but now he is—he's a brilliant scientist, uh, and uh, I think in the original continuity he was like a college friend of Reed yeah. Richards, as was Ben Grimm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The movie takes him back a little further, as you know. Um, uh, plus, the, uh, the guy that was cast as, as Grimm—it's fine once he makes a change, but he, you know, I have a vision of who Ben Grimm is, and it's—and it's not Billy Elliot. No, Jamie it's just Bell not. is a wonderful. He actor, is great. But I don't understand why they gave him that particular. Well, you know, listen, they but the whole point, you know, this whole movie, uh, I've heard different things about it, and you know, one of them is that Fox wanted, um, you know, they have had the rights. This movie was not made by Kevin Feige. It wasn't made by Marvel Disney. It was made by Fox, and they had the rights to the Fantastic Four. And one version of it has it that they had to make a movie. Or uh, the rights would go back to Marvel. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, but, I mean, they, well, but, but, you know, tracked. yes, but some people say that, you know, that isn't what happened, that it was like, oh, they wanted to make a movie with Josh Trank. And I, you know, I'm not sure I, I yeah, well, I mean, maybe what I, I'm just saying, what I hear. And, um, go on. You know, so I mean this, but but I mean there is no question that by making it, they did keep the rights to Fantastic Four. And, uh, now, uh, you know, they already had a sequel uh, yes, agreement. They have a and, sequel plan. Yeah, but they're not. I mean, everybody's saying that's probably going to be another Deadpool movie <laughs> now. So, um, you, you know, and also I'm not sure that what you guys were saying about an early cut by Trank. I, I think that he had an idea for the film and they might have shot it. But I don't think, he, you know, the story goes that he was actually removed from the film and the editing. I don't think he ever got to make an edit of it. As well. uh, yeah, I, was, I, I don't think there's there any was... doubt he got fired. No, uh, yeah, but I mean, toward I, the end of the thing, there was. I mean, he said in an interview that he had a preliminary rough edit that he thought was good. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, it, it, so I mean, I, that seems like a reasonable thing. Oh, that okay. Happened. Yeah. Plus, there's also stories from like that uh, he was abusive on the set, that he was fighting with his landlord and uh, trash some. I mean. It just seems like everything that could go wrong with this movie did go wrong. Right. It did. It did. And now, you know, I wrote a big, long piece kind of rounding up some of the sh- some of the 
uh, stories about it the other day, and I said, you know, the one thing that isn't being blamed is superhero uh, fatigue. But then there is a big piece on Grantland today that is blaming f is superhero fatigue. And, you know, we had down here Ant-Man as well. Now, I haven't seen that either. I have been not leaving the I house. I would, I would say Ant-Man goes down to superhero fatigue, whereas Fantastic Four seems to be going down to... But I, but you know, Ant Man does. I think Ant Man did better than expected. You know, I mean, there was a lot of kind of the same thing where Edgar Wright, a director, had worked on it for seven years, and then suddenly he realized that he was not going to get to do what he wanted to do, and that he had better things to do, and it was Sia. But uh, you know, and there was a, a momentary solidarity with this brave auteur. Uh, and then the movie came out, and it's you know it's got a little callouts to you know Easter eggs and actually um, it did not do as well as Marvel was expecting it to. It it um, did it do better than the Fantastic Four? I actually, yeah, that's that. not yes, uh, it did better than Fantastic <laughs> Four, but it actually did worse than the basically every uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that has come out since the Hulk movies. Like it, it, it has not. I mean, it has made its money back. It is not a flop, but compared to other Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, particularly ones that came out in the summer, it it did not make the kind of money the others did. Now, it may have made more money than some people were hoping it would, mm. or some people thought it would, but it did not make the kind of money that is traditional for a Marvel movie these days, which is obscenely huge yeah. usually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, well, I don't think. Different than a flop. Yeah, I mean, nobody really thought that Ant Man was going to be the next Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, it opened up but in. Thought Guardians of the Galaxy would be the next Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, I, I can tell you, you know, one of the things that I note is when I go to Toy Fair in February, which is where all the toys that are going to be on shelves in the summer are already on display. And, um, you know, when I went there two years ago, uh, or, yeah, last year um, in February, Guardians of the Galaxy was everywhere, and everyone was standing up and cheering for Guardians of the Galaxy. So, you know, Disney, Marvel already had a pretty good idea. They knew what they were doing with this. Um, this year, Ant-Man, um, you know, very few Ant-Man toys. So it was already kind of written in the, you know, the story well, was yeah, already told a bit. It seemed to really be presented, you know, I think principally because of, Paul Rudd being in the as a tongue in cheek um, in the extreme. Now I haven't seen it, and I've seen some of the trailers. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, to me, Edgar Wright doing that movie was the only reason I wanted to see it in the first. Well, place. let me ask our our team here. What do we think? And the, you know, the Grantland piece talks about this a little bit, but uh, about a year ago, uh, all three studios, well, four studios: Fox, Sony, Marvel, Disney. Um, Warner Brothers all came out with these huge, you know, up until 2020 list of movies that they were putting yes. out based on the various universes. You know, Sony had a whole Spider-Man, um, you know, like, yeah. yeah, universe, which now they're not even, you know, making Spider-Man, the next Spider-Man movie. And, you know, Fox had this whole list and, you know, they still have the X-Men franchise. Um, but yeah, I mean, what do you what do you guys think? Do you think there is superhero fatigue setting? Well, I think I think there is, but I think that has nothing to do with with really bad ones tanking. Yeah. But it does mean that mediocre ones that maybe we would have all gone out to see, we don't see because there's something else better we can see. Right. Yeah. I I mean, I think there's I think there's fatigue of bad superhero movies, and I think that a lot. Uh, and I but I also think we're entering a period where these big blockbuster movies, even the ones that are entertaining, are. 
unimaginative. Yeah, they're all the same movie, uh, even if they're you know baseline entertaining. There's you can recite what will happen. Well, the I mean, major plot well, points. Part of it is that it is an actual real formula, not one that we've imagined, but that they actually have yeah. on paper at Marvel. Oh, there's no doubt. Where they have like things where how you have to time the fight scenes and everything. And I mean, there comes a point at which maybe you might want to break out of the formula a little bit if you've got a director you trust, but that's crazy talk. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you one thing you can't do is do a superhero movie that has virtually no action in it at yeah, all. That's not a and movie. and that's seemingly what Fox tried to do yes. with with the Fantastic Four. And apparently, looking at Box Office Mojo, it made less than half as much money in five days as Green Lantern. Yes, but you know, <laughs> let me. Green Lantern. Yeah, but you know, let me as well as Green Lantern. <laughs> let me throw in one thing here, though, and you know, you you both of you just touched on a real paradox, and as an observer on this world, I see it all the time. It's like, um, you know, you Calvin, you just said, oh, we're tired of the formula, and yet all the movies that don't adhere to the formula, like you know, classic examples, Ang Lee's Hulk. And, you know, at the time, a lot of people hated this movie. And, you know, I made fun of it, too. Nobody liked the Hulk dogs. I mean, there was a, it did not adhere to the comic book canon. And it had all this stuff. But, but you know, it was an Ang Lee movie. I mean, it definitely had, you know, some thought-provoking. Uh, it was thoughtful. It was a thoughtful movie. And the movie was not made shoddily at all. And and I think, you know, with time well, passing... It was another superhero music. It didn't have a whole lot of action in it, either. It, it, right. See, the thing is, I think there's there can be... The formula has gotten too restrictive. They can be the general requirements of the genre that you need to hit, just of like, hey, there has to be some action in your superhero movie. Yeah. Hey, you have to have a plot that hangs together at least somewhat, and it has to somehow involve these powers. Um, and that's – it doesn't need to adhere to action literally every 20 minutes no. on the beat. It doesn't have to always be the origin story. There's there is room to deviate from the formula. You just have to like understand what people like about superhero movies. For example, X Men First Class. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it did a yeah. lot of things people weren't expecting of a superhero movie. It, they made it a period piece. Uh, they you know added some familial relationships that were new. They did all kinds of things that are not in the formula. Right, and it was a hit because they. They made it a successful movie by understanding what people like in a superhero. Well, I'd also point out that X-Men First Class. I'm sorry, X-Men First Class, which I love. I agree. That's I, I was asked actually to make a list of my top 20 superhero movies, and X-Men First Class was, I think, number five. And, um, you know, but this movie was made by Matthew Vaughn, and uh, I'm pretty sure Jane Goldman wrote the script. And you know what? Matthew Vaughn is actually a very good director. And, well, yeah. and he has made a consistently, you know, kick-ass, uh, kick-ass number one. And, uh, you know. There's a movie that is insanely, like, violent, and I loved it. Right, right. But, but you know, go on. I'm oh, no, I'm sorry, Calvin. Go on. No, I mean, you see, I mean, look, I mean, to me, the, the, the model superhero movie that really made me want to really go and see it was the first Iron Man. Um, and to me, it was because it was like any good movie. It had great characters. It had great actors in it. It had a good dialogue. And, and I think also the classic Marvel comics have snappy, funny, engaging dialogue and real relationships between the characters. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, none of that was apparent in Fantastic Four. Yes, but I, you know, I, I didn't see Chronicle, Josh Trank's first movie. Yeah, I didn't um, see it. Yeah, but I, you know, I, that, I think that's what's really caused people to, you know, stop dead in their tracks is this whole, <coughs> pardon me, sorry, <coughs> process that they have now of some young indie filmmaker, some yeah. young male indie filmmaker makes a movie and uh, they pluck him from uh, obscurity to direct, you know, the next Star Wars movie, <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> with, mean, or the next Jurassic so. World movie, or whatever. You know, and it worked with Colin Trevorrow, and it didn't work with Josh Trank. And you know, I, I, I mean, I, I think it really matters who makes these movies. And I think it if does. you, you know, I, and I think you know, it's supposed to be a real gym. I mean, he, he, what did he made it for twelve? Yeah. Made a hundred and twenty million. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. And you know, if you look at James Gunn, who did directed Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, he was definitely an indie filmmaker, but he'd made quite a few movies, and yeah. you know, he had a real track record. And and you can see that his sensibility has transferred very successfully to the Marvel, um, you know, to the Marvel method, and um, you know that it works. But you know, I think. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people hate Zack Snyder, but you know he's a better filmmaker than a lot of these people. Yeah, uh, I you know uh, that's yeah that's that's frankly that's more of a foot down to the other guys than it is a, a compliment to Zack Snyder because I mean a, a lot of people made better superhero movies than these guys and you know that's not entirely on them they're they're new enough at filmmaking to have put all these expectations and all these like nitpicky requirements on them i mean it's hard enough to create something great with artistic freedom to create something great with someone looking over your shoulder every 20 seconds has to be really hard yes exactly yes yes well put <laughs> well anyway there's definitely you know i mean this isn't going to slow down Marvel's onslaught of phase no. three. But um, I think some of the other studios are going to take a look in the mirror. Or if they don't, they should. They well, should. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Anyway, shall we move on to the news briefs? It is time for the news briefs. So one thing you may not have thought about with the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal that uh, the United States is currently working out with, you know, our, our wonderful trading partners across the Pacific is how it will affect fan fiction in Japan. Now, you see, different countries do copyright differently and enforce different things more stringently. And in the United States, um, generally speaking, you, you don't see people publishing their Superman spinoff for, you know, money. But in Japan... Jinshi, which is to say fan fiction comics, as we might call them here, are in a huge market that they're sold in in comic fairs and and a lot of money is made. I mean, each individual creator doesn't make much money, but in aggregate, a mm. lot of money is made. Um, and so Jinshi creators are getting very worried about what the uh, larger copyright infringement enforcement um powers being given by this under this new agreement under this new agreement like how how will this affect the world of jujinshi mm -hmm. there are some people who are yeah. very concerned that it it may kill jujinshi mm -hmm. as we know it particularly because with jujinshi basically in japan and asia 
Um, there is no copyright crackdown, I think, None. unless there is a formal complaint by the copyright holder. Which they do not do. Which, which, uh, which the Japanese publishers have an interesting relationship with Dujinji because they, they – on the one hand, they sort of see it as a training ground mm -hmm. for new manga artists as well as the possibility of, of, of new characters. Uh, it, it's, it's seen as a way for them to sort of gauge the marketplace. Uh, yeah. So they, they sort of look the other way in ways that American publishers would never yeah. do. Yeah, American publishers will look the other way, but only if funny is not involved, yeah. which but, I mean, she's totally different. I mean, the, the, the comic head, exactly, that this, this whole thing is full of Dejinchis, and I mean, everybody's selling them, and they're all that's like copyrighted characters. So under this new Trans-Pacific Agreement, as I understand it, uh, you won't need uh, a formal complaint. Any third party can register uh, yeah. a report that, hey, I just saw uh, an illegal an illegally uh, produced uh, you know, a, a, a comic with, with, with copyrighted characters, and then the police can act on it. So uh, many jujitsu makers are, are feeling like this could be uh, – The end of the line or line. Yes. Yes. Yeah, things um, that will change their world. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see – I think, I think the culture of creating manga as well as the copyright law has grown to the point in Japan where they – this is part of how they do it. Yeah. But we'll have to see if under this new regime – I think someone was saying in the, in the piece you said that, well, you know, maybe warring fans might, you know, you know Go after finger somebody just because they're pissed off. You know, all of this is possible. So we'll have we'll to see, see how it affects. There will definitely be more to come on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of things, there will be more to come on. Archie, the musical, is going to be a real thing that really exists on go. actual stages. Uh, brought to you um, by one of the creators of Funny or Die, Adam McKay, uh, the popular humor website. And a script, oh dear, a script by the gentleman who brought you... Spider-Man, turn off the dark. Oh, no, yes. no, he didn't create it. No, he didn't create Spider-Man, but he, he was the script doctor. Let's be fair to the guy. He was, he was yes, one, of, one of the script writers. <laughs> okay. Uh, which is an interesting pedigree, but hey, so well, we shall see. Well, uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, I mean, Archie has been uh, showing himself innovative in, in reviving uh, mm -hmm. and uh, the brand and its great iconic characters. This is the latest. I mean, they're doing realistic horror. They've, uh, you know, there's a Petifi show coming as well. Um, yeah, they're, they're doing Archie they're, everywhere. You they've, re they've rebooted the 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 flagship Archie comic. Uh, they're doing. They did a Sharknado meets Sharknado. Archie. <laughs> Archie. So you know, Ar Archie continues to break new ground to keep its brand vital and active. <laughs> Now, um, speaking of vital and active, one person who is not, according to his own reports, is Naruto creator Masashi Kishimoto, oh, yeah. because he says that he is too tired, quote-unquote, too tired to continue. Please, no one ask him for any more Naruto. He, <laughs> after the Boruto sequel movie, he's done. That's it. He says, quote-unquote, please let me rest now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but he I, is coming I, to New York Comic Con. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, but but I think he wants to like do things like go to New York or, yeah, I or think anything, anything other than write more <laughs> more Naruto. Um, uh, well, I mean, I think this is a it's it's a window into the life of a manga in Japan. I mean, a superstar manga I mean, they are they just literally work around the clock. 
Um, I remember uh, I had the great good fortune, I think it was several years ago at Comic-Con, to meet uh, uh, Tatsumi Yatsuhiro. I hope I'm not reversing his name. I do that sometimes with Japanese names. Um, uh, the great mangaka, one of the creators of Gagaka, um, he was getting a spotlight award, and he talked about what it was like uh, during his career. Uh, and it, you, you can't even believe it. You think you work hard now, people? You have yeah. no idea. This guy, I mean, they would basically lock him in a room. Yeah. Uh, he said it was like going to war, getting I mean, a month every month. Yeah, and supposedly that's still how it is for some people. Yes. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's so, um, I mean, we're chuckling now, but I, I think the man wants to meet his family again. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's, it's rueful chuckles. Like, I have so much sympathy for this man. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. So, God bless you. And one more, <laughs> one more international comics news piece. The EU is distributing free comics and paying for free comics in order to teach children that the EU budget is not wasteful. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, this has come under criticism in Britain as uh, propaganda and wasteful. <laughs> One of them is entitled To Victory, inspired by the EU budget, a class of international students from Bratislava funds an adventure-packed school trip across Europe. <laughs> Yes. Well, <laughs> so it's an, an interesting um, way to uh, try to get children interested in your budget. Yeah, I wonder if they're uh, making them in Greece. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, well, I saw one of the comics, I think there was an excerpt, one of them said, well, you know, waste, everyone knows waste in the EU is, is less than 1%. <laughs> it's like, where does this stat come from? I, <laughs> Where is yeah, just because you read it in a comic doesn't mean it's true. And furthermore, giant did, bureaucracy. Did, did Greece vanish? Yeah, did I, Greece I mean, vanish? I just find it. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Comics uh, can be used for anything, people, including propaganda. <laughs> so there you go. And on that note, there will be more to come. <laughs>